Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali was held from the 10th to the 13th of April. If you missed it, don't worry. Go to vinitaliplus.com for on-demand recordings of all the sessions from the exhibition. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Welcome to this Wine to Wine digital session. I'm Kareen Ketty, and I'm excited to be here um, to help moderate this discussion on what do wine journalists want from producers. And I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker and friend, Michaela Morris. Michaela is an international wine writer, educator, and speaker based in Vancouver, Canada. She contributes regularly to Decanter magazine and Meininger's Wine Business International, as well as Canadian publications Quench and Taste. Michaela holds a Wine and Spirits Education Trust diploma and was one of the first certified Italian wine experts through Vinitaly International Academy. She educates about Italian wine across Canada and judges at wine competitions around the globe. She's worked in various capacities in the wine industry for over two decades including as marketing and logistics manager for a premium Italian wine importing company, helping to build it into a national enterprise. Let's welcome Michaela, and I'm excited to hear all about her ideas on this presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Corinne. It's great to see you. Um, I appreciate that lovely introduction. And I want to thank everyone who's attending the seminar today, whether you're online or in Verona. I'm sorry I can't be there with you in person. I'm coming to you direct from my home in, in Vancouver. Uh, thanks to the Wine to Wine team as well. I know that the technical side of this is, is complicated. There's so many balls uh, in the air. So thanks to all of you and thanks to everyone on, on the ground. I want to start this session by recognizing that we could actually have a parallel session entitled what do wine producers want from journalists uh, so I throw that out there uh, perhaps for for next year and I'd be very happy to uh, to sit on that session uh, but today I'm going to talk to you about what wine journalists want from uh, from producers now Jancis Robinson whom I admire greatly uh, addressed an audience in Australia a number of years ago and she reminded them that we, meaning the wine journalists, couldn't do our job if wine producers didn't exist. The opposite, of course, is not true. Wine producers can very easily, I don't want to say easily, but they can certainly make wine without the help of us wine journalists. That being said, uh, I don't think that uh, wine journalists are complete parasites in the, uh, in the wine industry. 
Um, we do play a role in disseminating information, keeping people up to date on what's going on in particular wine regions, um, maybe even putting a spotlight on upcoming or lesser known wine regions or producers or grapes, um, and really just making that, uh, that link uh, between the wine producer and, and trade and consumers alike. So the role that we play is, is of, I don't know, greater or lesser importance. However, the relationship that we have with producers is not one side. Um, so I want to give some tips uh, to producers in terms of how best maybe or to go about engaging with wine journalists. And I think one of the most important things to always remember is uh, who's in front of you? Who are you speaking to? So know your audience. And there are different types of, uh, of media. So um, there's the influencers, uh, which are really more famous personalities, let's say. They could be people also who are within the wine trade, um, but oftentimes they're outside of the wine trade. And, and they can be used quite um, quite well to uh, to promote brands and even drive sales. Uh, but their role is quite different from bloggers uh, and wine, wine journalists. And I would say that the line between bloggers and wine writers has become a bit blurred, especially as things have moved more online. That being said, for me, there is still a clear distinction or certain differences uh, between bloggers and, and journalists. Bloggers tend to be uh, self-published. They may have uh, their own their own website, and they write more in a diary format. So typically, they'll have less parameters in terms of how many words they can use, and even sometimes in terms of uh, uh, in terms of deadlines. They may not have the stri the strict deadlines that a, that a wine writer uh, has. There are many very uh, very effective uh, wine bloggers who I like to read, but I would say that there are no barriers to entry when it comes to blogging. Really, anyone can can be a blogger, so you get a little bit of of everything there. The other thing too about wine bloggers is that um, it may for, for, for many of them be, be more of a, a side gig. So they may have their, their own income coming in from another industry and, and the, the, the blog uh, may be in addition to that. In terms of wine writers, we are commissioned by a publication uh, to write a specific story. And so, as I mentioned, we have deadlines, we have parameters uh, for our articles. And uh, I know myself, um, it is my primary source of income. Um, I do have to supplement it a little bit with some judging and teaching, but I love all of that. But it does mean I have to write a lot of articles to actually make a decent, a decent living. And I, I, I think my um, fellow journalists who, who do have it as a primary source of income would, would, would agree. So you have to do a lot of writing. <laughs> there, are, there are some wine bloggers who have become journalists, and there are some journalists who have a blog. I don't have a blog. I think the closest thing I have to a blog is my Instagram account. So I'm coming at this presentation really as, as, a, as a wine writer who has deadlines and parameters for every story that, that, that I write. So I'm going to answer the question, what do wine journalists want from producers? And for me, there is really one, one specific thing. There are many answers that I could give. But when I think about it, the most important thing is I want to write a unique story. So I want that unique and, and genuine story from the producer themselves. I want all of the juicy details. I want the technical side, but especially when I'm visiting a producer, uh, it's really 
part of uh, of the visit is to get into the personality of the, of the producer and also the the winery themselves. I love all the extra stories, things that you wouldn't see or read uh, on a website, uh, like the relationship that the new generation has with their with the grandparents who started the winery, or what went wrong when you first started making wine and you had to call on the neighbor and help you start an unstuck fermentation, and both of you had to um, undress to your underwear and jump in that vat and. and start stomping the grapes themselves these stories are what um, what makes the uh, that, that that experience come alive and even if we don't write about it we get a sense of uh, of what's behind that website uh, that that producer from uh, from afar so give us all of those juicy details and that means in terms of communication to be specific in in your communication um so i'll give you an example i i cover the um, the new releases from Tuscany every year for Decanter Magazine. And so I'm tasting a lot of Reserva wines. And I, I ask, so how do you make your Reserva? And the answer is often from the best grapes. But what is it that makes those grapes the best? Because there are only so many tasting notes I can write to say that your Reserva is made from the best grapes. Is it from a specific vineyard? Is it from the oldest vines? It, does it come from all of the, the vineyards and you're making a specific selection? How do you make that, se- that selection? How is it done that year? So getting into those details helps us understand the, the wine better in the glass. Another example would be uh, saying that you're sustainable. Well, what is it that makes you sustainable beyond organic um, uh, viticulture, whether you're certified or not. How have you lowered your carbon footprint? Tell me about your waste management program and also what you're doing in your local community to help that um, be sustainable as well. And uh, perhaps the the investment that you've made in your workers. Uh, One of the publications that I write for in Canada is called Quench Magazine, and it's recently been relaunched in, in its print format. And one of the sections that we have is specifically on our sustainable picks. And when I write my tasting note, I'm not just writing about what I taste and smell in the wine. I'm also writing about those specific practices that a winemaker or a winery is doing towards sustainability so that we can educate consumers as to what sustainability is actually about. So please be specific. One final example in that is that I cover, when I'm covering the, the uh, when I'm doing a vintage report uh, for Decanter, I'm talking about, I, I wanna know how the vintage was, not just it was good or bad, but how, how was the weather conditions uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the growing season? Was there, were there problems with hail or frost or, or, or drought? When did that occur? What did you do to mitigate it? And how did those affect your decisions in terms of vinification, the, the temperatures of vinification, how long was the maceration? And, and when you talk about aging vessels, there are so many different shapes, sizes, provenance, ages of oak barrels. Let us know specifically. The more information that we have as journalists, uh, the more details we're able to share with our readers. And I take all of that information and I taste the wine and I pull from that information what it is that I want to, um, what, I, what I believe may have an impact or the story, not just the story of the wine, but also why the wine might taste as it, as it does. For decanter, I have to include 50% of my tasting note as technical details, maybe not just the vinification, but what the terroir is like, uh, the history and the background of the, of the producer. So it's a big help the more details we have. 
So don't be afraid to discuss what was challenging and be honest about those challenges. Challenges add drama and drama makes for a great story, especially if it's a happy ending, meaning a, a, a great wine at the end of the day after all, after, after all of those challenges. Um, but address them honestly, speak to us honestly uh, about them. I would also encourage producers not to be afraid to speak off record. And I think that I speak for most of my colleagues in, in, in that if you tell us that something is off record, I know for me personally, I will keep that off record. Why I say that is that those off record conversations are just as important as the on record or for the record conversations because they do give some background and context uh, as to perhaps you know some issues throughout the, the vintage or things that are going on in the region. It may help us investigate things further. And if we do end up writing about said issue, we won't implicate a particular producer, but we're able to investigate further. So I love those off the record conversations myself. So that's what we want. We want the juicy details. We want all we, we want we want all of the specifics. If I could now say what we don't want, or perhaps what I don't want, and a lot of that is around point scores. So when I'm tasting a wine uh, with a producer. One of the details I actually really don't need is what another journalist scored that wine or what awards uh, it, it, it won. I am so happy for you if you have had great accolades and that should be celebrated and shared on social media. It can be disseminated as well to consumers. Your importers are going to want to use that to help sell the wine. It's absolutely great information. But for me, as a journalist, I'm there to assess the wine for myself. So it's it's not one of the details um, I'm actually looking for. And if I could um, speak further about wine scores, uh, it's always important to remember that wine journalists who give out point scores have their own individual scale, and they are not equal from one journalist to the next. There are some who have uh, who, who score wines higher, some who score them lower. Um, so it's within the context of a single uh, journalist. You do not need to thank um, a wine journalist for giving you a high point score, nor do you need to berate uh, a wine journalist for giving you a low or what you might deem a low point score. It's our job. And we're not here to do, we're not giving you the point score to do you a favor, nor are we doing it to be mean. I always try to be respectful in, in my tasting notes. Um, and I think it's important uh, not just to read the point score, but to read the note that accompanies it, because I think it gives a, uh, the best uh, indication as to why we may have uh, rated a wine a certain number. The good thing is there are lots of uh, wine writers out there giving out point scores. So if one journalist doesn't like it, well, perhaps another one does. So you don't have to worry <laughs> about those point scores. A final note on that is if we rate something highly, gifts are not necessary. Um, in fact, it makes me it makes me uncomfortable to 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 receive uh, gifts from from producers, and I think that's important to to be said. So visiting producers, it's actually my favorite part of the uh, of the job. I'm always very grateful uh, for the time and generosity that uh, producers show when I arrive, especially if it's harvest time and I know how busy you are. It's a really special time for me uh, to 
to, to, to understand a little bit more in depth uh, the producer and their wines. And I also think it's a really important moment uh, for the producer as well. Hopefully. So I want to just give um, a, a few tips, perhaps, on how you can go about preparing and managing the, the, these visits. It goes back to what I say at the beginning, where you want to know your audience, who's showing up at the winery. Is it a group of lifestyle writers who may want a little bit more romance and a little bit technical, a little bit less technical information? Or is it a wine journalist who really wants to get into those uh, th those details? One of the biggest discussions or the ongoing discussions that I have with, uh, with fellow um, wine writers is about um, spending time in the vineyard rather than spending time in the wine cellar. It is, it's so amazing because so many producers say that uh, wine is made in the in the vineyard rather than in the cellar, um, and yet we still turn up at at, um, at wineries, and we're not even taken to see a, a vine. We're taken into the cellar, uh, and I know there's a big investment that goes into the cellar, and there are things that we can learn from from going into the cellar. But in general, most most wine writers want to see uh, the vineyards because that's what really sets it apart from uh, from another region and even even perhaps from uh, from your neighbor even if you are visiting the 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 uh, vineyard and I'm always up for a visit in the vineyard rain or shine any time of the year just make sure that you allow time for the wine tasting if that is the purpose of the visit there are some wine writers who actually don't need to taste the wines when they show up at the winery because maybe they've had samples sent to them already. Um, but many of us um, haven't had that opportunity. So that tasting is really important. And I need time to write my tasting notes um, and to give, the, to give the wine the time in the glass that, uh, that it needs. So just always allow time for that. I would, also say, I, would, I would also say put your best foot forward. So open up a fresh bottle. If you feel like it needs air, certainly you can open it up ahead of time and, and decant it. That's no problem. But don't rely on wines that have been opened two or three days ago um, because it's really not the best way for us to assess wines. Corvin is absolutely acceptable. In, in my opinion, others may disagree. And if possible, if they're not too busy, uh, get the winemaker or the viticulturist to come by while we're tasting or in the vineyard um, because we can ask those really technical questions and, and they can answer them for us. And it just gives us a further connection to, uh, to the wine and the winery. Nevertheless, you're going to maybe want to have the technical sheets handy. I am always surprised at how even the winemaker can remember um, the technical details of a wine that made three years ago. And inevitably, there will be an annoying journalist like myself who wants to know the pH of a certain wine. So um, having those handy is always helpful, but I will not take them with me when I leave the visit. Please email them to me. After visiting 30 wineries, when I'm in a wine, wine region, I can't lug around all that paper and I don't want to file it uh, when I get home. So um, less is more. <laughs> the other point that, uh, that I, I think is important to make, is, and especially uh, for myself, because I do a lot of visits actually on my own rather than in groups, and that is silence is golden when we're tasting. Do not be afraid of that silence. I need time to listen to the wine um, and to write my note. And if I have to be constantly engaged in a dialogue, 
I'm not going to write down what I need to. And if I visit 30 wineries, I'm not going to be able to remember that wine when I get home. So don't be afraid of those silences. I know they can be uncomfortable, but sometimes I feel I, I feel like it's such a blessing um, when we have a moment to actually just look at the wine and, and in, in silence. This is the opportunity. Visits are the opportunity for you to ask for feedback. I think it is absolutely acceptable to ask those in front of you tasting the wines what they think. However, I would call, I would ask you to have to wait until we've tasted all of the wines so that we have a global idea uh, of the wines and so there's not that constant discussion while we're tasting. And I would also say that if you ask for feedback, you have to be prepared to receive it and, and, and allow for that, that honest communication from whoever is tasting the wine. In some ways, uh, you could think about these visits as having some free consultancy. And that doesn't mean that what a wine journalist says to you is the gospel truth. But I do think it's good to listen to what someone's saying to you. And sometimes you may get the same feedback repeating. And you may want to look at that and uh, do what you want with that information, but they may even be giving you information about a certain market that, that they're coming from and why a certain wine wouldn't be suitable for that market or, or why it might be. Now, I'm t talking in this session um, as a monologue, <laughs> and this is something that I would caution against when you have a group of wine writers in front of you. Really try to uh, conduct the, the, your visits as a dialogue. I was just in the Okanagan Valley, which is our local wine region of British Columbia, with a group of other wine writers. And there was a winemaker who was an absolute fountain of knowledge, but we couldn't get a word in edgewise. And it meant that I couldn't ask the questions that I needed about a certain subject that I'm writing about. So I probably won't be able, well, I definitely won't be able to quote him in, in the article that I'm writing because I've got plenty of other time to ask questions to other to other producers. So do allow time for, uh, for everyone's questions. One last thing I would say uh, about visits is that I don't, I don't recommend that you show videos during a visit. When we show up a, in a wine region, the magic is in the moment. It's in the engagement with whoever's in front of us and the beautiful vineyards that are surrounding us. If we're dragged away from that and have to sit in a room and watch a promotional video, that magic is somewhat spoiled. The best time for us to watch those videos is at home when we return from our trip and we're writing our article and we want to be reminded of that magic. So really, you want, you want to keep the, the visits intera interactive. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do as many visits over the last year and, and a half. So there's been a lot of uh, communication from afar. So the communication from afar happens in different different um, aspects. Uh, but websites are, I think, more important than ever in, in some regards. So I think there's a session probably on, on websites in Wine to Wine. But you really want to keep your website up to date and put in some of those specific details I love going on a winery's website and seeing the technical uh, sheet on there that I can download for the latest vintage um, so that I don't have to email and ask how many months did you age the 2016 vintage in, in, in New Barique? Um, because I need to put that in, a in, in my tasting note or, or um, convey that information. So uh, if you have that information available to you and the technology, by all means, use it. There's a lot of uh, emails uh, as well for that uh, communication from afar. And for me personally, email is my preferred choice of uh, communication, especially in for you know professional manner. If you're wanting to send me 
updates on your on your new releases. I don't always respond to, to, to social media just because there's too much coming at me at the same time. Get to know the journalists that you're corresponding with. They may feel differently than I do. I cannot get back to every email, though. I'm quite inundated by emails. So this is my time to apologize uh, to any winery who I haven't answered. I have to prioritize my emails. And usually that priority is whatever article I'm writing right now that has a deadline um, ahead of me. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about some tips for trip organizers, but I do uh, before I move on to that, just one last thing in terms of the the, um, the relationship between producers and wine journalists directly, and that's about sending samples. I receive a lot of samples. I get a lot of requests to receive samples. I don't review every wine that is sent to me. I will review the good ones, the best ones, the ones that, that I think um, are, are worthy of a, of a review, but I also need to find an article to put them in. So I can't do ad hoc reviews. No barrel samples for, for me personally. Other journalists may disagree, but find out if you're sending samples and you're paying that money, find out if, they're, if, if they want to, to a, a barrel sample, but I cannot review mine unless it's finished. And last but not least, um, in terms of samples, respect whatever instructions are given to you um, about sending samples. Every country is different in terms of its regulations. I live in Canada, where our regulations are very strict. (laughs) I see Corinne smiling there. Um, And if Mailbox Plus tells you that they can ship direct to uh, an individual in Canada, they are lying to you. I have had to run around and try and find commercial brokers a number of times for samples unsolicited uh, that were sent to me. And it is a lot of time and, and costly as well. So um, just be uh, just be aware of that. I'm sure there's plenty of uh, questions from uh, from producers and we're going to get to the Q&A in just a moment. If I could just spend a few moments addressing uh, consortiums, uh, PR firms, people who are organizing incoming trips for uh, for groups of uh, journalists. As I said before, I love visiting producers and these wine trips are some of the most fun that I have in my job, but it is work. Please beforehand send that itinerary. Uh, It helps us pitch articles uh, to our editors ahead of time. It helps us prepare interviews um, so that when we are in front of the the producer, we know exactly what uh, information we want to get from them. And it is a contract. And this brings me to what I think is the most important point I, I want to address in terms of these wine tours. And that is the wellness aspect. If you have free time in an itinerary, That is something that you have to be religious about keeping. I realize that there are always changes in in itineraries, but uh, we guard that free time quite preciously. We're there to work, absolutely, but we're not available 24-7 when we're on the ground. We are wine writers. We still have deadlines. Uh, we have family that we may need to to get in touch with. And for those of us like myself who are coming from afar, when I get to Italy after a day of travel, I have brutal jet lag. And after tasting all day, sometimes I appreciate a quick nap or a quick run at the end of the day so that I'm refreshed for the activities in, in the evening. The other um, aspect of these trips is the food, which is always very exciting to me. <laughs> so absolutely put in those local specialties. But 
you have to have some balance. So if you're coordinating a trip and there's different producers or restaurants who are providing the, the food, correspond with them, see what they're going to be serving. So it's not always the, the same thing. Obviously, there are people with uh, specific diets like vegetarian and vegan. I find that's usually pretty well done. But sometimes what's lacking is a salad. And a salad is welcome at every single meal. If I didn't say that in this session, I'd have my fellow wine writers in North America upset with me because uh, sometimes the, the food can be quite rich and heavy and we need a little bit of balance. Fresh fruit is great as well. And just make sure that those dinners aren't too long and, and, and too heavy. Uh, we don't need that much food, especially if we've been sitting in a bus and sitting down tasting wine. We're not the ones farming the grapes, so we don't need um, all of those calories. And last but not least is the, the time to sleep and rest. You might want to avoid lots of late night dinners or long bus rides to and from uh, dinner at, at the end of the day. And we need time in the hotel at the end of the day to wind down before we go to sleep and then get uh, you know, a good five or six hours so that we're refreshed and ready for the next day's activities. One last thing before I leave it to the questions, and that's, um, I would say that less is more. You do not need to jam pack a, a, a schedule. You might want to have that one last tasting, but that could make you late the entire day and you have to sacrifice that, uh, that free time. I think a few good visits and you're going to get good articles. You're going to get happy, happy journalists writing um, positive articles uh, about the wine region um, because they've seen a lot, hopefully with a, a good mix of large, medium and small producers. But you don't need to pack too much in there. I think I'll leave it at that, Corinne, because maybe you've got some questions coming in or have some questions yourself. Thank you so much for to everyone for paying attention. Yeah, thanks, Michaela. Um, I think that was really enlightening and um, lots of great discussion points there. Um, I haven't seen any questions come in, but I think there was some great discussion in, in the chat while you were presenting. I think uh, Mike Medeo made a great point. He said, you know, in technical sheets, it's really important to, to not just have a generic technical sheet, mm -hmm. but to have vintage specific technical sheets. And I think that was a really good maybe addition to some of the things you were discussing. I'm sure you've run into that in, in the past. Absolutely. And exactly, because we always say that vintage matters as well. And if I'm if I'm reporting on uh, Brunello, I do think that, that that what a producer does from one year to the next is different. So, yeah. It, and, and I know that it's a lot of work and especially for um, some smaller wineries that may not have the, the time to, to update their technical sheets. But if you do, if you can spare the time and you do have the, the, uh, the technology to put it onto your website, um, an updated one specific to the vintage um, is always welcome. Absolutely. I think another thing that, um, that you were talking about, which I know I ran into, was um, receiving samples from someone. Hmm. Um, and um, they had included promotional material within it, which really kind of screwed up the logistics of getting the of the liquor boards releasing the wines. It was a little bit of a a little bit of a nightmare for myself, I know, running around. And maybe you might want to just comment on something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That It goes back to what I said about um, asking for what the specific instructions are and following them and not think like I've worked in the wine industry for 25 years. Corinne, probably, um, you know, for, uh, 
I know for a while as well. So we know what the regulations are. So when we give you our instructions, um, maybe stick to them. And I, I say to everyone, like, don't put any paper in your with, with your um, with your samples at any point. Send me what you want by email. It's so much easier to file. I, I throw away everything that I'm giving, not throw away, I actually try to recycle it. But better than recycling is to reduce. And I think we are, a lot of us are really in that, that mindset. So, you know, be really careful about sending uh, promotional material, especially to, to, to markets that are quite controlled, like, like Canada. Yeah. We have a question here from, um, from Richard. He says, would you expect producers to provide English translation services? That's a great question. And um, it was something that I had wanted to address in my my presentation. I'm lucky to speak English, obviously, French, Italian, and some Spanish. I always ask, though, that producers speak slowly because my Italian, I'm not completely fluent and Spanish even, even less so. You know that's that's all that is a a big ass. It is an extra. It is an extra thing. I've been on visits where the producer has asked their neighbor or uh, sommelier that they know who speaks uh, who speaks English as well, and they've been so kind as as to bring that person along. It's it, it's definitely a benefit because if you we are not speaking the same language, it becomes difficult to convey those stories. Nevertheless, I, I find um, humans like to communicate and especially in person, there is a lot that you can do even if you don't speak the same language. But certainly if it's possible to bring a translator to, um, to, to the visit and to the producers who are um, speaking their own language and having the translator there, again, don't speak in, in paragraphs, speak in sentences so that the translator can actually translate what you're saying. Uh, I Because I do speak Italian, sometimes I hear the translation and the producer has spoken so long that a lot of the information gets lost in that translation. If you um, have gone that extra step to get a translator, really help them do their job so that they can communicate all of those details to, to the journalist. And like you said, oftentimes they're not um, official translators either. Yeah. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're getting as much of the technical info and that's n- not getting lost in translation, so to speak. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I think, I think that was um, most of the questions uh, we had for today. Is there anything else you want to just finish off closing with? I'll just reiterate um, the session takeaways, uh, really to know to know your audience and to communicate to them honestly, clearly, thoroughly and engagingly. Give us all the juicy details, <laughs> um, technical and otherwise. Also plan ahead for, for any visits you have to ensure that the priorities of that visit are met. I hate getting to a winery and then... I didn't get to answer, ask my questions or, or taste uh, taste the wines that, that I wanted to because I only had that opportunity to visit the winery. And then last but not least, for trip organizers, make wellness a priority. And this means the free time, a well-balanced diet, and allowing proper sleep to the journalists. Hopefully that helps. Thank you, Corinne, for, for moderating this. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks, Michaela, for a great session. and. I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to hear uh, next year's version, like you said. <laughs> absolutely. I'll be there for that. Hopefully in person in Verona. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And with that, we'll close the session. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. Remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.